We've got a new series that we're starting, Go Our Great Commission. And this is about Matthew 28, 18 through 20, a very clear explanation from Jesus of what the mission of the church is. Let's read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the mission of the church. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the mission of the church. We are to go and make disciples of all nations, knowing that the Christ has authority and he's given us authority, and we can go do that. We can proclaim the good news, baptize and teach people, and we know we can trust God to be with us. This is the mission of the church, the purpose of the body of Christ. Sadly, though, this is often neglected. I've heard people refer to the Great Commission as the, you know, in a, in a, sarcastic way as the great suggestion. It's not the great suggestion. Sometimes I'll call it the great omission, you know, because we've got our own problems and our own issues and we get kind of self-centered and self-focused and we don't do this. We just want something for ourselves and it doesn't really go out. But we're not going to be the sort of people who are going to miss the great commission. It's our great commission. Jesus tells us to go, so we're going to go. In this series, we're going to cover five basic concepts. This week, we're going to talk about how Jesus modeled this. The great commission wasn't the first moment when this came out. Jesus went and then he also sent Next week, we're going to talk about the power of the name of Jesus. We're going to talk about the authority of the believer. We don't have the ability to make the devil flee, but if we submit ourselves to God, we can resist the devil and the devil will flee. That only comes through the authority of Christ given to the believer. So we talk about that next week. The week after that, we'll talk about baptism, the initiation into the body of Christ. The next week, we'll talk about the idea of making disciples and teaching them to obey everything. So make disciples who obey Jesus' teaching, not just passive believers. There's too many people that have a vague idea that God is real in the back of their mind, but they're not doing anything about it. And I guess I should go to heaven. That'd be good. You know, I guess God's nice, whatever. And But they aren't doing anything. So a passive believer isn't a disciple who's obeying the teachings of Christ. That'll be week four, and then we'll finish it up with the the promise that Jesus makes that he'll be with us always to the very end of the age. He'll never leave us or forsake us. So that's what we're going to be covering, and I got a couple of preliminary points before we get going on this. The first one is when I got saved when I was 19 from a non-Christian background, So I I didn't have a Christian background. I didn't believe in God. I didn't think any of that was real. I just thought it was a, you know, an antiquated mythology that some people needed for their emotional health, but didn't really believe that God was real. When I got saved, I found out God was real, and that was a huge moment in my life, and nobody had to tell me that it was important to rescue people from hell, because it was the people I knew and loved that I knew needed to be rescued from hell because I needed to be rescued because I wasn't a believer. And as far as I could tell, nobody else I knew was either. 
As time went on, I found out there were a few closet Christians in my group of friends, but I didn't know it, you know, and I thought everybody I know was going to hell. So I didn't have to be told that we need to rescue people from hell. I didn't need to be encouraged to do something to advance the kingdom. I was in a panic situation because I can't believe that God is real and that heaven and hell are real and people are going to hell and nobody's doing anything about it. We got to get going, man. This is craziness. Nobody had to tell me that we need to rescue others from hell. And this was one of the big issues that I had with the church is because it didn't seem like People were trying that hard to reach people who were lost, that they didn't care that there were people separated from God, doomed and living miserable, unnecessarily painful lives. And, you know, as I've matured and grown, I've started to see some of these things from a little bit deeper and more mature perspective. You know, one of the main reasons why churches and individual Christians don't aggressively go forth in trying to spread the word of God and and do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God is because they tried and they hit a brick wall and then they tried another way and they hit another brick wall and then they were full of faith that this would happen and it didn't happen and they finally get discouraged and just sort of slow down a little bit and aren't quite sure what to do. And so as we hit the difficulties of trying to share our faith and trying to live out the gospel, then we can get sort of discouraged. And it isn't just a selfish choice to only look at what I want. We can get to where I don't even know what to do that's going to make any difference. I've tried so many things, it just doesn't seem to get anywhere. So we also need to get past that discouragement. It's not just selfishness. It's also discouragement, and there's just difficulties in actually making a difference. So we want to find those ways to actually make a difference. And I've also found that there are so many believers that are absolutely, completely serving God to the best of their ability and are nobly fighting the good fight, and it just isn't obvious to other people. Because so many times... Fighting the good fight looks like just a normal everyday life. In fact, that's the way it looks for the vast majority of believers. You're not going to fly off to India and change a a nation. You're going to live your life, live your job, have your family, and be a light for Christ in your circle. And it's going to look like a normal life. But so many times, that's a full, complete, sold-out service to the kingdom of God. So I've started to see there's more to it than what I first understood. And then I wanted to say one more thing before we jump in to today's topic. Here's my controversial statement for today, is that I don't think that witnessing is the greatest evangelistic tool that we have at our disposal. It might be second or third, so I'm not throwing it out. But the greatest evangelistic tool that we have at our disposal is to live abundant life in Christ ourselves, is for us to gain freedom in Christ, for us to walk in the wisdom and power of Christ, for us to live the life. If we are living the life and people just see that, then they're going to want in. But if we're not living the life and we're telling people about how great their life can be if they give their life to Christ, then we're just hypocrites that are telling people about something that we're not even living and we clearly then can't grab hold of. So how are we going to guide other people into it? 
So we don't need hypocrites telling other people to follow Christ or hypocrites being representatives of Christ. What we need is people who are grabbing hold of the fullness of Christ, living in the victory of Christ, living abundant life in Christ, having freedom in Christ, living in the wisdom of Christ, and them rubbing shoulders with other people. And that, I believe, is the greatest evangelistic tool we have at our disposal. But it's harder work because you got to look in the mirror and deal with your garbage. Let's look in the mirror because then our life gets better and we're more effective for the kingdom of God. The hypocrite life is a miserable life and it's very ineffective. How many people have been driven away from the one true God by a hypocrite Christian? What's that going to be like on judgment day? I don't want their blood on my hands. So we can have all the good things. We can have abundant life in Christ freedom in Christ, we can have the wisdom of God, we can walk in the good things of God, and then be much more effective in advancing the kingdom of God and bringing people into a knowledge of Christ. So let's have that. That's the most powerful thing we have, is to live the life ourselves. So let's look at the great commission in the life of Christ. Jesus says to go into all nations. Did Jesus go himself or is he just asking us to do something he was unwilling to do? Jesus left heaven to the ultimate mission field, the earth. <laughs> and he came here, born in a barn. You know, his crib was a, a feeding trough. He went to the mission field. He went and that's what we've just celebrated when the Christmas season is the coming of Christ. Jesus went. Then when he was about 30 years old, he began his ministry on earth. When Jesus was about 30. Wouldn't it have been interesting to have met the 26-year-old Jesus who understood everything? And he's just doing carpentry work. And he seems like he's got a handle on life better than everybody else. And then the next year he's 27 and he's doing carpentry work. And he seems like a pretty good guy, and he's showing up for synagogue, and he's volunteering periodically to read the scriptures or to be an usher. You know, he's just doing that. And then you know him when he's 28, and it's the same story. And when he's 29, he's still going through the motions. You know, and he's just living life as an example, a sinless example of what it means to walk with God in a normal life. And then when he's 30, why did he wait till he was 30? Because in that culture, to be a rabbi, you needed to be 30 years old. Kind of like we've got a certain age for when you can get your driver's license or when you can vote. They had a certain age. You want to be a rabbi, you need to be 30. You've got to have some wisdom. You've got to have some life experience. So the age was 30. So he just submitted to that and waited out a decade of adulthood before he started. You ever need to be patient before stepping into God's plan for your life? Jesus waited a long time. And he just lived as the carpenter's son, presumably as a carpenter, earning a wage, living life. And when he's 30, John the Baptist is rolling. That's Jesus' cousin. That ministry is going. John's baptizing people in the Jordan River. They're repenting of their sins. And then John gets put in prison. And that's where we pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 17. And this is where we get 
the start, really, of the ministry of Jesus. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the same message that John had. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Jesus goes forth. He's calling people to follow him. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing, and he's delivering people. We get from verse 24. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. So now the ministry is going. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's going to the synagogues. He's traveling from one to another. People are getting healed. They're getting delivered. And he's bringing in disciples. Jesus had been living his life as an example of just normal living, being a regular guy that loves God. Now he's preaching, teaching, healing, delivering, and calling other people into service. And before long, he's now empowering people to go. So we jump to Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, and we see this next thing where Jesus was going, and now he's sending others to go. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he's seeing the need. And he's got his disciples who are following him. And one of the things that can be very disheartening as a leader is your heart is breaking for something, but the people you're trying to lead don't care. Have you ever been in that situation where you're trying to get some people to care about something and they just don't? This is how Jesus handled that. He saw the need. His heart broke. He wanted something to happen And so he says to his disciples, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What Jesus was telling his disciples was, look at the great needs out there. Let's pray for them. Let's ask God to intervene in their lives. Let's ask God to send people to help them because they need help. So he got his disciples to pray for those people for the the harvest field in the world. He got them praying, and then he calls them to go. Next verse. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. We've already heard about them. Next verse, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, 
Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, this was a period of time, again, before the gospel was spread to all nations. We see that in the end of the book of Matthew. But here, they were just in Jerusalem, and so they're just dealing with the Jewish people at this point. But it would be spread to everyone. Hallelujah for that. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Have you ever gone into a situation to serve the Lord and you were poorly received? What Jesus says is that if the situation warrants it, let your peace rest on them. But if it's not working, let your peace return to you. What I've found I have a tendency to do is to let my peace out, and then it's a disaster, and my peace just goes off into the distance. It does not return to me. (laughs) But what we're to do is to step out to serve, And if it's going well, we just speak blessings and peace over others. And if we're rejected and it's not working, then our peace comes back. And we walk into the next situation with the peace of God. That's God's plan. That's how he taught his disciples. Let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So what is Jesus saying right here? The iconic view of the example of God's judgment on wickedness is Sodom and Gomorrah. And what he's saying here is when you go to share the gospel with somebody and they refuse it, it's going to be better on Sodom and Gomorrah than on those people. That is harsh. It's very strong. It's powerful. I love songs like Reckless Love, where it's talking about how much God loves us, and he'll go to any length to find us. He leaves the 99. But I tell you, once you know the score and you say, forget it, this judgment comes on that. Don't play with God. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes And innocent as doves, be wise and of a pure heart. Be shrewd because this is a dark world, but keep your innocence in the midst of it. And he continues to explain these different things, but Jesus calls the 12, he sends them out, he gives them authority to minister healing and all these things, and they go, the 12 go. Then we go to Luke chapter 10, and we see the same basic pattern, but with a larger group of people. So let's jump to Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So we had seen the first example was Jesus going. Then he sent the 12. Now he's sending 72. We're seeing this is is growing each time. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is a different situation because he's not sending out the 12. He's sending out the 72, and he tells them the same thing. Look at the need out there. Pray to God that someone would meet that need, that God would send someone. Next verse. Go. (laughs) This one's a little bit quicker, a little bit more straightforward. Pray that God would send somebody, and you go. 
Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road when you enter a house. So that whole don't take anything with you, later on he said, okay, now take stuff with you. Situation's different. You're going to need to bring some stuff. But what the basic point was, don't be distracted by anything. You're on a mission from God. You go do it. Don't get distracted. That basic principle is still true for us today. When God sends us to go do something, go do it. Don't get distracted by all this other stuff. Go do it. And this is the same thing here. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. So again, if you say peace to someone and they're not a man of peace, in fact, they're a man of something very, very different from peace, then let your peace return to you. Wouldn't that be a fantastic spiritual skill to attain? Rejection would be so much easier to take. And when you step out in the things of God, you got to get used to rejection. Let your peace return to you. Verse 7. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. So proclaiming the kingdom, bringing healing, ministering in powerful ways. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. We have a reiteration of these same points over and over again. Pray for them. Pray for the need. Get God's heart in your heart. Then go. When you go, go under the authority of God so you can pray and minister the gospel. You can pray healing. You can, you know, under the authority of Christ, you can go. If you're rejected, let your peace return to you. And if they're going to reject God, well, then they're going to have to face God. I wonder how many times Jesus gave this speech and sent people out. We've got two examples in the scripture. The 12 and the 72. Did he do this just twice? 10 times? Was it 50 times? I don't know. But there seemed to be a very direct pattern. And so this was his normal way of teaching. Have him pray for the need. See the need, get God's heart. Then go under the authority and power of Christ. Tell him the kingdom of God is near. If you get rejected, let your peace return to you and understand there's judgment coming on them. And be wise. Shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. Then we get Matthew 28, 18. It's a similar idea. It's not laid out exactly the same. It's a little shorter. But let's look again at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. He sends them. And this has been understood as to apply to all of us. It's the Great Commission, not just for the individuals that were there, like with the 12 and the 72, a specific example, but this is the calling to the church, to those who will follow Christ. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So there are no nations that aren't called to follow Christ. Jesus sent His people to all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus came, he went, 
and he ministered. Then he taught the 12 to do that, the 72, who knows how many other groups he sent out in a similar way. And here he sends out the church, all of us, to go. All nations will be reached. The good news in the middle of all of this is that all you need to do is your part. The situation is slightly different than with the 12 and the 72. They were sent on a specific mission, and people are sent in that way even today. But there are also other jobs to do in the kingdom, in the body of Christ. It's much more of a huge organization than it was 12, 72 people. You know, now there's 2.3 billion Christians on the planet. 2.3 billion people associate themselves as Christians. That's a lot of people. And what that means is that now we're in the era of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, where it's one body, many parts, and all the different parts come together to form one body to accomplish the Great Commission. It's much like an army in today's world where you've got boot camp and you've got training and you've got people who are making uniforms and who are making the implements that are necessary to succeed. You've got hospitals with doctors and nurses and medications and you've got strategists and you've got people that are boots on the ground who are on the front lines and you've got all these different pieces that are all necessary and it's the same in the body of Christ. There's all these pieces that are all necessary and we just need to do our part. And if you do your part and everybody else does their part, then it's going to work really well because it's God's plan. But if half the people don't show up, then the ones who are left have to do double duty and they can get tired and burnt out and then they fall away and now there's only a fourth left and then they run themselves ragged and it's a disaster. This is why it's so important to be in the body of Christ and do the part you're called to do because you don't want to hang everybody else out to dry. Do your part and help. But the good news is, again, you only have to do your part. That was our whole series, Gifts That Keep On Giving, about spiritual gifts. Do the things God's called you to do. If everybody else does the things God's called them to do, then we will be the body of Christ that goes into all nations and baptizes new disciples and teaches them to follow Christ. And we won't be left by God, but we'll walk with God through this whole thing till it's over. That's good news. It's good, good news. So do the thing God has called you to do. Seek it out. Man, a lot of the times it looks like when Jesus was 26 years old. A lot of the time it looks like that, where you're going to work and living a godly life and rubbing shoulders with people. A lot of times it's like that. I just want to reiterate Jesus' disciple-making strategy. We saw Jesus called people, then he taught them through words, by example, through the demonstration of God's power. One of the things we didn't talk about today was he gave them opportunities to serve in controlled, safe environments. Like when Peter walked on water, Jesus was there to catch him and pick him back up. And then he sent them out like lambs among wolves. Now Jesus lived as our example in many, many ways. Many, many ways he lived as our example. But there is one very, very important way. If there is evil and darkness, it must be destroyed. The wages of sin is death. But our God is a loving God. Our God had a problem. How does... He rescue the sinner and stay just. And this is the plan of redemption. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus said, I'll pay that wage so that they may be redeemed and set free. 
So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you for your plan of redemption. Thank you that we get to live in the day of salvation. Lord, what an incredible blessing it is to be here in this time where the good news of the gospel is spread to all nations, where it isn't a chosen people and an unchosen world, where it isn't a flood that takes away everyone but eight people on the planet. But Lord, we are living in the day of salvation. What an amazing blessing that is. Thank you for it. Father, for those who need you right now, I pray that they would ask that forgiveness from you and walk into your kingdom. Lord, thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we know the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So we ask you, Lord, to send workers. Lord, there are people who are, are hurting and they, they are in depression and anxiety and they have a, an idea of themselves that's a lie. They don't see themselves as valuable children of God, but they see themselves as as irrelevant accidents in this world, just mere product of, of random chance, but not creations of you, but send people to them. Lord, there are people who are living in unnecessary pain because they're not walking in your ways and they're sabotaging their relationships and they're, they're bringing destruction through greed and all these different things. Lord, send someone to them. Heavenly Father, 42% of the world's population does not have a gospel outreach that they have access to. So Lord, send someone to all nations to be able to bring the gospel so that they can be freed from believing in false religion and be brought into your glorious truth. And Lord, call us to go. And Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to save us from our sins, that we could be made new that we could be right with you, and that we could live free from the mistakes of our past and step into new life in Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are willing to take on that calling to come here, to live as an example, and to die as a sacrifice. So, Lord Jesus, we remember what you've done. We will not forget you. and We honor you. We worship you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.